Philippians 2, Part 2, in the sermon series, Contagious Joy, spoken by Pastor Peter on. Last Sunday, I talked to you about how joy is experienced sort of in community. We talked about like-minded joy, that that's a key component to experiencing joy. This week, we're going to look at six verses, and Paul goes deeper into the subject about how we can continue to experience joy. He makes this real important, sort of this conclusion about joy, that the level of our joy is directly connected to our level of obedience to God. That they actually go completely hand in hand. That if you want to experience joy in massive amounts from God today, it's really connected on how you and I are willing to live a life of obedience. When you think about obedience and relationships that you're in today, it's actually vital in order for that relationship to be healthy. Think about your relationship with your boss at work. Could you think about like a time if they would give you certain deadlines to make and you didn't obey them in making those deadlines? Could you imagine if that happened time after time after time? How about if they told you to come to work? Well, now you're quarantined, so logging on at a certain time, but you always show up late. What would happen over time? Your relationship with your boss would deteriorate, wouldn't it? And after it begins to deteriorate, you probably would get fired. It happens. Obedience is vital for that relationship. What would happen if you weren't husbands, if you weren't obedient to your wife? you would be miserable, miserable. You know what they say, happy life is always connected to a happy wife, right? It really is. In all seriousness, though, what would happen if you didn't obey your spouse in terms of your fidelity? How do you think the health of your relationship would be if you compromised that obedience? It would be deep. You would breach that relationship. And it would take an incredible amount of work, as long as your spouse doesn't want to get a divorce, to restore that relationship because you have damaged it because of your lack of obedience. Parents, what would happen if your eight-year-old child, now I just say eight-year-old, I don't have an eight-year-old, but what would happen if your eight-year-old child told you when they were going to go to sleep? You go to them and say, honey, it's time to get ready for bed. What would happen if your child turned to you and said, no, I will go to bed when I want to? How would you respond to that, right? How would you respond to that? Or what about if you were sitting at the dinner table, you cooked a meal for your child, you bought that dinner over and you laid it right in front of them. They looked at it and they said, no, go back in the kitchen and cook me another dish. I don't like this. How would you respond, parents? If that was my child, they would not live to nine. I promise you that. No child of mine will disobey me in that way. And so we realize that in these important relationships that we have, Obedience is key in order to sustain a healthy relationship. But when, I think we, when we think about our relationship with God many times, we often think obedience is an option. And we don't connect our level of obedience to being connected to having a healthy relationship with the very God who created you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer often says is that we use this cheap grace theology to get ourselves out of living a life of obedience and we just kind of walk with God. And he says, when you live your life in cheap obedience, with, with cheap grace, you really cannot live your life deeply with God. Today, Paul is going to teach us how through our obedience, your, hopefully your commitment to obeying God is directly linked to the level of joy that you and I can experience today. And then he's going to teach us tangibly what that looks like today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 12 through 18. Philippians chapter 2. Verses 12 through 18. Again, six 
powerful, powerful verses. Here's what he says. I'm, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. Just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice and I will share your joy. Church, this is the word of God. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. And so God, thank you for these powerful words that your servant penned many, many, many years ago. And Lord, help us to really unpack this so that we can apply this to our lives. And even in the midst of what, all that's going on in our world, that we can experience this contagious joy. So Lord, I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts watching at home would be pleasing unto you. And all of God's people said, and let's say virtually, Amen. Amen. And so again, Paul is teaching us in this passage that our joy is most powerfully experienced as we obey God. Just like when a child obeys their parents, there is a healthy relationship that is being nurtured in that, in that relationship with the parent and a child. And just like when you and I decide to obey our Father in heaven, we begin to live in a deep, happy relationship with our Father. And as a result of that, there is joy that is in that relationship that you and I can experience with God, all right? I, I meet a lot of Christians sometimes, and they come up, and a lot of times, sometimes they want to ask me certain questions. One of the questions I get oftentimes is, they say, Peter, how can I hear the voice of God? Peter, what can I do to hear God's voice? Because I want to hear God speak to me. And I'll usually respond by saying, God will never speak to us if we are unwilling to obey what he tells us to do. Think about that for a moment. If you want to hear God's voice, it really requires your level of commitment to saying, I will obey whatever you say to me. If that's not our heart posture, why would God speak to us? Why would God give us direction in our lives if we're not willing to follow him? So obedience, it's so key here. And I love what Paul says here. He says it's, it's more important now than ever before. And I believe he's saying that even to us here today in 2020. Look what he says in verse 12. Verse 12. He says, dear friends, you always, and again, a better translation would be dear beloved friends. Paul loved this community. This was his, this was his where he found his koinonia, which is his fellowship. He says, dear beloved friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important Work hard, underline that word, work hard, to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Paul is commending the Philippian church on how they obeyed how, on how they obey God. But now that Paul is not with them, he is saying that their level of obedience is more important than ever before. 
And I believe if Paul was writing us a letter today, he would say the same thing to our church here today in 2020. He would say that because we're living in this quarantine, now more than ever, your level of obedience is more important to God than ever before. Because nobody sees what you're doing. They don't know what you're doing privately at your own home. We're living in this quarantine. Paul is saying now more than ever, your obedience to God is more important than ever before. We're living in such a fragmented world. We know this with divisions based upon the color of our skin. We see all this racism that's happening even in the church. And unfortunately, the church is probably the greatest culprit in how they continue to support institutional uh, racism. And Paul is saying now more than ever, it is more important that you and I commit ourselves to obeying God, to living our life in obedience. Paul wants us to realize today, the reason why obedience is so critical to our faith today, he, say, he says here in this passage that it's a byproduct of our salvation. Our obedience is a direct result of our salvation. I love how Tim Keller puts it. Tim Keller says that every religion teaches us that in order for you to be accepted by God, you have to obey. Every religion teaches that. Christianity is a whole different kind of religion. Why? Because it doesn't teach you that that's the case. It teaches you that God has already accepted you through Jesus Christ, through his death and his resurrection, the gospel message. And he said, it's because of that acceptance, we obey. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. Because Jesus Christ has come and died for you on the cross, resurrected from the dead, because God's accepted you through what Jesus Christ has done, you and I are to work out our salvation, that we are to embrace it by obeying. It, is, it shows the manifestation or the byproduct. It's the fruit of our salvation. And for Paul, obedience is defined not necessarily in not sinning. I think a lot of us, when we think of obedience, I got to obey God, we often think it's following a set of rules. That's not how Paul defines obedience. Here's how he defines obedience. Obedience is about coming under the total lordship of Jesus Christ. That's obedience. Obedience is about you living a completely devoted life to him. Meaning that there's no other person, there's no other thing in this world that you are more devoted to than Jesus Christ. That is what it means to obey God. That goes far deeper than just following a set of rules. It goes far deeper than you just not sinning. And let me just talk about not sinning for one moment. I think sometimes that becomes too much about us. Because if we, don't, if we stop sinning particular sins, what usually happens? We feel real good about ourselves, don't we? And then what happens when we start committing those sins? We feel horrible about ourselves. Sometimes we talk ourselves out of really believing that God loves us. Sometimes we begin to doubt it. We begin to think that God now is wanting to punish us. And we start to get paranoid and it becomes all about us. And I think it's one of the greatest lies the enemy has, has caused us to believe. Because true obedience... God knows that you and I will fall and that we will sin. He knows that. True obedience is you surrendering yourself to his lordship, getting up, repenting, asking God to forgive you, confess it, share it with someone, and do your very best not to do it again, but at the same time knowing that there's nothing greater, there's no greater joy that you and I can experience than devoting ourselves to God the Father. Listen, the greatest thing that people who aren't Christians today can experience is happiness. Non-Christians cannot experience joy. Joy is God-given. It is God-made. We can experience joy because God creates it. People who aren't Christians today, the greatest thing that they can experience is happiness. And we do meet people who aren't Christians, and they're very happy, aren't they? But as we talked about even last Sunday, that happiness is contingent upon the happenings in their life. Meaning if bad things happen, they cannot be happy. And you know that's true. 
But joy is something that is God created. It goes far deeper than just our present circumstances. It is this joy that God gives to us that we experience in massive amounts and we experience it in ways that surpasses all understanding. One of the reasons why I love to go to South Africa every year, honestly, is because I get to experience what true joy is like. Not just for myself, but I see it in these people who have nothing, far less than me, and yet they carry a joy that really surpasses all understanding. That's the joy that Paul is talking about. That doesn't happen until you and I commit ourselves to obedience. And so look at what Paul says here in verse, in verse 12. He says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. That, 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 those two words, work hard, is in the present tense in the Greek. And what that means is that this is something that we should do regularly. You and I have to work hard every single day to show the results of our salvation. And Paul says that happens by obeying God with what? Deep reverence and fear. So what are we to work on? What is our task? To work hard at growing in reverence and fear. I love that. That we work hard at doing that. That we realize that there's no greater place to be than following Jesus Christ. There's no greater place to be that God can today bless you with his presence of joy and love and he can minister to you today. There's no greater joy than following the path in which God has created for us and living. There's no greater joy to know that our God loved us so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die for us. And as a result of that, we submit ourselves to him in humility. And then I love what, what, he's, what, what Paul says here. He's saying that's our part that we have to work at. But look at what God will do for us. He says, for God is working in you, in verse 13, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. What is he saying? He's basically saying this. He's saying that God will give you the strength to obey him. How cool is that? As you and I try to work hard at growing in reverence and fear for God, what will God begin to do? He will give you and I the strength to obey him. So obedience isn't something that you decide to do and you use your own human will and strength to execute it. No, God will give you and I the strength to obey him. Can I get a virtual amen to that? That God will give you the strength to obey him. So it's, again, not about you doing this. It's about you just committing yourself to grow in reverence and fear. And as you do that, God will give you the desire to do the things that what? That pleases him. God will give you the desires to do what pleases him. And I want you to be set free from that today. That this is a beautiful thing. It's a relationship of health. And as God gives you the desire to do those things that pleases him, you and I would encounter Joy, powerful joy. We will be in a healthy relationship with him. Now, what does that really look like? What kind of joy is God going to give you? Because I don't think God is in heaven, and as you are working hard to grow in your reverence and fear, that God will sort of take a ball of joy and just throw it from heaven, hoping that it's going to hit you on the head, and then you're just going to experience this joy. That's not how you and I experience the joy of God. How can we encounter the joy of God when we commit ourselves to growing in obedience to him? It's through church unity. All right, now before you turn, turn, tune off and say, oh gosh, that's the last thing I want to do is experience joy in that way. You got to stay with me on this because for God and for Jesus Christ, there's nothing more important to him than church unity. And if you and I commit ourselves to obedience, which is an individual choice that we have to make today, when we make that individual choice, what happens is that the entire church is blessed and it's working towards its unification. And when that happens, we experience massive amounts of God's joy. Look at what it says in verse 14. Verse 14, 
do everything without complaining and arguing. This is really a beautiful example of what it means that when you and I choose to obey God. When we choose to live a life of obedience, what we begin to do is we realize that as we walk with God and as we choose to obey him, as we choose to love our neighbor as ourselves, that when we get into conflicts with people in this church, because that will happen, as we enter into relations with people here at Metro Community Church, we will enter into conflicts. But the beautiful thing is this, as we both work towards obedience to God, we will work towards reconciliation. So therefore, that relationship will not mutate into us complaining and arguing, because if that happens, what happens in the church body? It becomes fragmented. There's this unity in the church, and as a result of it, you and I and the church itself cannot experience that joy. But when both parties come together and they're working towards that kind of reconciliation, then the church is blessed, the church is healthy, the church experiences joy. That's why Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says to us, he says, do not bring anything to the altar. Don't even come to the altar if you have something against your brother or sister. Go and make it right with them first, then come to me. That's how important this is. Church unity is the greatest way in how you and I can experience joy, but that does not happen unless we commit ourselves to living in obedience. Obedience isn't easy. If you were to tell me that obedience is easy for you, I would look you straight in the eye and I would, I would see you as a liar. Obedience is not easy. Obedience is hard. It's hard. It's not easy to surrender yourself to the lordship of Christ when you're struggling during this time. It's not easy for us to do that. It's not easy for us to surrender ourselves to the lordship of Christ where we value God and we are fully devoted to him when we're struggling with all kinds of insecurities about our future. It's not easy when that happens. It's hard, isn't it? You see, being united is very costly because it requires you and I to be obedient above all things. Above all things. And I want you to see the, the byproduct of how of what happens when you and I commit ourselves to this. This is what Paul's saying. This is why the, un, the unification of the church or church unity is so key here. Look what he says in verse 15. He says, so that no one can criticize you, meaning stop arguing and complaining so that no one can criticize you. And as we devote our lives to living a clean and clean lives, uh, uh, obedient lives, he says this, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of God then on the day of Christ's return. I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. In these three verses, joy is used four times. Here's what Paul is basically saying, because what kind of, so some of you are saying, all right, so we commit ourselves to obeying God, we experience unity, and that's how we experience joy. Uh, it's really not that simple. As you and I commit ourselves to, experience, uh, to living a life of obedience, what begins to happen is we become united as a church. And as we become united with the church, what is Paul's ultimate goal? What is our ultimate goal? Why is, for Jesus, the most important thing for him to see today in 2020 is the church being unified? Because when we do that, the world will know that Jesus Christ is God. The greatest component of evangelism to lead people to Jesus Christ is done as the church 
is unified. Paul says that when you and I commit ourselves to living a life of obedience, we will shine like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Our unity is what allows the light of God to shine in a dark world. And what happens is that people will begin to see that and they will know that Jesus Christ is Lord. And folks, when that happens, that is the greatest joy that we can experience as Christians today living in this world. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of leading someone to Jesus Christ, but you know that if you have had that privilege, you know that the joy that you experience, that God could use you to lead somebody where their lives now is is secure for all eternity. It is truly the greatest joy that you and I can experience. I I want to turn to John 17, verse 20. Listen to these words of Jesus. This was his very last prayer before he was crucified on the cross. And look at how he ends his prayer in verse 20 of John 17. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. He's talking about us, church. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus' greatest concern and hope is that our unity in the church will convince people that Jesus Christ is truly a God who loves them and has died for them on the cross. This is why church unity is the greatest form in how you and I can encounter joy today. But that does not happen unless we're willing to be obedient to God. This oneness is so key for Jesus Christ. If we're not living in unity, hear me on this. If we're not living in unity today in the church, we're breaking God's heart. We are breaking God's heart. And when we break God's heart, There's no way you and I can encounter joy. You got that? Jesus Christ believes that when a church is united, and it can only be united through the obedience of its people, when a church is united like that, we experience joy because the world will come to know Jesus Christ. And when the church is not united, we break God's heart. And when God's heart is broken, we cannot experience joy. So will you today be open to committing your life to full obedience so that the church can be unified and that the world will know that Jesus Christ is real and that he's a God who loves and died for us on the cross and resurrected from the dead. I can't stress the importance this summer for you and I to be a part of a summer small group here at Metro. And I know some of you might say, well, I want to take a break. But I want to encourage you today. One of the ways in how you can apply this sermon to your life in obedience is to believe that the only way you're going to experience true joy is being obedient. But that obedience leads to you working towards the unification of this church. You must be in a small group. Get in with some people in this church. And be devoted And even if you begin to have conflicts, stop arguing, stop trying to divide, but do your best to work towards being united. So today um, is my last Sunday before I go on sabbatical. Uh, I will see you back here in October, 
And I hope by then, uh, maybe we can meet in person, but I'm not sure. Uh, some might say, why are you going on sabbatical, Peter? What are, you, what, what are you doing? There's a lot going on in the church. There's a lot going on in our world, and there sure is. Why? Why would you go on sabbatical now? And, you know, in the past, I, I, I would believe, especially towards the beginning, that uh, when I started this church and I went on my first sabbatical, I was nervous. I didn't think the church could survive without me. That was the first time I went. This is my fourth sabbatical I'm going on. But the first time I went on sabbatical, I thought maybe the church might fall apart. And uh, to my humility or to my shame, I came back. The church was even stronger. And, uh, and this, as I go away now, and I know there's a lot of things happening in our church. I know there's COVID-19. I know there's so much going on. I know there's so much tensions happening within the church and outside the church with racial tensions. Uh, maybe it's not the most ideal time to go on sabbatical, but I want you to know that I go with such faith in our staff and in our elder board, that our staff and our elder board has never been more united than ever before. We are so united, and I know this church will be fine. We have such amazing leadership that is going to lead us in the next 90 days in a way that I know will be great. And I'll come back, and hopefully I will hear those great stories. Our staff, I just want to share with you how unified you, we are. You know what we did this past Tuesday? We actually broke up into groups, and I, and, I, and I broke up the groups a week in advance so they can pray about it. But I said, here's what we're going to do. Remember last Sunday I talked about uh, growing in self-awareness? I told our staff that we have full permission to share feedback with one another so that we can grow in greater self-awareness. I shared that with them. And I said, pray about it and go for it. But just share one, one feedback. Pastor Shirley was in my group, and Shirley has been with me for 15 years. She's been with me for the first day this church started. And I want, I intentionally wanted her to be in my group because I, I think in the past 15 years, she's probably saw some things that I'm, I probably need to work on. And so, you know, again, I told the staff just one thing, one thing. And when it was her turn, she says, Peter, I don't have one, I have four. <laughs> I was like, okay, four. I guess I got to get the most because she's been with me the longest. And I'm not going to share with you what she shared, but those four things were so key. But one of the things she shared with me that I would have never, ever gotten on my own was that she, said, she shared something about how Korean pastors on our staff might see me. And she shared with me a revelation that I would have never gotten if I didn't give her that time to be that honest and give me that kind of feedback. I thank her for that. Our staff is so united that we can give each other feedback so that we can grow and be together. And so I don't have any worries about what's going to happen in the next 90 days because our leadership of this church will lead this church in a powerful way over the next 90 days. But I do have some concerns. I do. I worry about our church. I think right now um, the whole talk on race is real important for a lot of us. We have made our voices known um, on Facebook Instagram, on our different social media platforms. And uh, I'm glad that we do that. I really am. Uh, I was really joyed. I was really uh, overjoyed when I saw so many of our people attend the rally here in Englewood a few weeks ago at Black Lives Matter. I mean, I was so grateful. People came from all over, and they made sure that they would come and be a part of that, to be a part of that rally. And we marched. We marched with our black brothers and sisters. It was great. But I'm worried that I'll come back and perhaps maybe the chatter the demonstrations, the news coverage will no longer be on Black Lives Matter. And I'm worried that perhaps maybe we're not going to care anymore. Once the media dies down, that our interest on this will die down as well. And we'll just go back as life as usual. 
I'm truly worried about that. And, and I think I have some legitimacy to, uh, to be worried about it because yesterday we did have our sacred space time for our non-black community here at our church. And when you take out our elders and you take out our staff who attended that Zoom meeting, four of you decided to be a part of it, four. And I was sad that, uh, and I know some of you, you, you got stuff going on and I totally get it, I do, I do. But we have about 550 adults at our church and only four of them believe that that was important enough to give up 90 minutes of their Saturday to talk about this and to grow in deeper understanding and, and to try to see what we can do as a church to come together. I'm worried about that. And my hope and my encouragement, what I want to implore you on before I head over to sabbatical, is that this has to be so much more deeper of a concern for you than just what the world covers. You have an opportunity, I have an opportunity, we have an opportunity as a church to come together and experience something that most churches don't get to experience. There are 25 nations, over 25 nations represented here at Metro Community Church. Most churches are ethno-specific. We have an opportunity to come, fellowship, talk, share, open our hearts with one another, and really start talking deeper into this. Pastor Sunita last week at a workshop, she said this. This is what I've heard from some people. She said this. She said, you know, when this all dies down, for you that aren't black, when this all dies down, guess what? You might forget about this. But black people will never forget. They have to live it every single day of their lives. And my hope and my prayer is that we would do that together as a church, that we would never, that we would stand together. And even today, like I had sort of a, a childhood flashback, like a PTSD moment when our president was at a rally at an evangelical church in Arizona, Assemblies of God Church in Arizona, and he said kunk flu. And when everyone just erupted in laughter, I had a moment again, a flashback of when I was a little kid in school and kids were making fun of me because I was Asian. And I hope that we as a church would stand together and realize that racism at the heart is destroying the Imago day. And as a result of it, we have to come together as a church and we have to serve, love, stand up, and be in relationship for the sake of obedience to Christ. And as we do that, we experience a unification that leads to deep, deep joy. Metro, I love you, and I have a lot of faith in this community. God does. Your participation in the life of our church really matters. And so for the next couple of months, while I'm away, I ask you, would you commit yourself to obedience to God and being obedient to the leadership of this church, following and trusting and seeing what God can do to bring about greater unity here at Metro Community Church. I hope I come back and I'm overwhelmed and I'm touched to the depth of my heart to see how much we have grown in the level of our obedience. May you truly be able to experience that joy then that surpasses all understanding. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. So God, I, I just pray for our church. I thank you that you are the leader of this church. It's not me. I thank you that you've blessed us with such an amazing group of staff, pastors and directors, administrators. Thank you for the staff, God. Thank you that you brought an amazing team together that is so committed towards this, of being united. Thank you that you've blessed us with a group of an elder board that truly loves 
and that loves this church in every way. And they'll do anything for the sake of unity here. Unite us. I pray for every person that's watching that calls Metro their home, that they would do everything they can in the next 90 days to surrender themselves and to serve in this church, to be a part of a small group, to attend the meeting, the sacred space in July 19th, where black people from our church, brown people, Asian people, white people would come together and we could have truly a sacred space together. I pray that we begin to even put that on our calendar. We make a commitment to attend that Zoom meeting. God, whatever you have for our church, we've built this church on the principle that weakness is the only way we can encounter your perfect strength. And so I pray, God, that you would help us to commit ourselves to obeying you as we become weak so that your strength is perfected in us. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. There's some next steps that I'd love for you to take, and here they are. First, I am committing my life to Jesus Christ for the very first time. If you've never done that, please check that off, and we will get back to you this week in your communication card. Check that off. It's important that some of you may think that's not important, but it is because you have to have some level of accountability. We'll pray for you, but one of our pastors will actually email you and connect with you if you've taken that step. So please, everyone, if you can, just fill out your communication card and and these next steps. The second one is this. Again, accountability, right? Accountability. Please sign me up for a summer small group. If you check that off in your communication card today, we will email you a link where you can register to be a part of a small group, all right? So please, please check that off. I want to encourage all of you that are watching to be in a summer small group. It'll be virtual again, but please open yourself to that. Third, I will share and ask for accountability in an area where I struggle to obey God. Listen, we all struggle. I really struggle to, to obey God. Find somebody where you could share. Share, just be honest about it. And let God's grace come and bless you. All right? Four, I will pray every day this week for Metro to be unified through their obedience. Pray every day this week. Can we join together in concert and pray that we would be obedient so that we can be unified? And then last, we're going to have prayer, uh, virtual prayer rooms right now. Some of you need prayer. You really do. And it's good that you need prayer. I need prayer. Would you sign up for that, emetro.org slash prayer. Sign up and wait. And one of the pastors are there right now, and they want to pray for you. 